Welcome to the Barrel Spin Podcast, where we help you to explore your capacity to move better, push further, and achieve your limitless potential through fitness, nutrition, recovery, and lifestyle. Hey guys, welcome back to the Barrel Fit Podcast. Uh, great to be back with you guys. Got a great show today. I'm here with two nutritional experts that they both work at Ferris uh, Athletic Club in, in Echo Park. Uh, both great coaches. They cover a lot of stuff, but they're, they're both very in tune with nutritional work specifically in this field. And they're also going to be heading up what we call our fuel plan at Ferris Athletic Club, which is an exciting new uh, nutritional program. Jack Wellborn and Suyuri Yoshimura, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for, for, for being with me. Uh, Suyuri, I know you've been here before, so welcome back. Uh, Jack, it's your first time, and it's definitely your first time with that new mustache. <laughs> How's that working out for you? It's working out great. There's nothing but nothing but compliments so far. That's great. I love yeah. the mustache. Um, Jack, let's start with you, as you've never been on the show before. And I think most members of the club have met you by now, but tell me a little bit about how you got into the fitness space, what your experience has been and how you got to this kind of point where you're at right now. Yeah. So I was always, I mean, it's sort of like the same, same story as many others, but I was always very into fitness as a kid inside and outside of school. So I'd started off as mostly an endurance athlete. I started doing triathlons, some ultra distance swimming when I was like 13. And then I started doing that up until I did that until I was about 19 or 20, competed a little bit and then became a chef as I got out of music school. And so I did that for many years and fitness kind of like didn't take top priority until about like I was maybe 24, 25. Then I started getting into like ultra running and Ironman stuff. And then it took over like crazy. And once I was like 17 or so, I started getting really into nutrition. I started out like so many people in the field. I was like, went vegetarian for like five years. And then I was like vegan for a little, I just kind of tried everything and was into all of, I guess at that point, you could say like the quote unquote, like latest trend in, in, in what was coming up in the, in the nutrition world. And I was like health and fitness podcasts and everything. And I just kind of didn't realize that it, how big it was in my life. It was always just kind of in the background as I was doing other things. And then as I started training more for triathlon stuff and ultra endurance stuff, I started getting much more into, into lifting, into powerlifting. Um, at that point, just for like injury prevention. And then a coach of mine was like, you should start teaching. You're great at this. I'd like started taking over a class there. And then I just started helping friends and I was helping friends with like nutrition plans and helping them with various aspects of, we'll talk about this later, but it was friends that had like gut health problems. I was helping them like figure through those. And then I just sort of like found myself with lots of clients I was helping and I was like, I absolutely love this. And then I decided to go full time with it. Very cool. Very cool. What do you think specifically drew you towards nutrition? I was always fascinated by what each individual food could do functionally and if foods mm. individually served a purpose and it took me many many years to get to a point where i could understand functionality in foods i think this is uh, this is something we'll talk about too or i would really like to talk about and uh when i was vegetarian it was like i was fascinated by like what an individual vegetable could possibly do 
what what purpose it served, like what function it had. And that got me into like the much nerdier side of, of nutrition. And it wasn't until like maybe two years ago, three years ago, a couple of voices in the space started really discussing more of, of food functionality. And that's when I kind of light bulb moment went off and I really started to get way more into nutrition. At that point I had like gotten certified and done some stuff, but that's when it kind of it yeah. really took off. I think we're in, we're in a really interesting place right now with nutrition where, you know, obviously as a, as a world, we are more obese than we've ever been. But I do think there are more people than ever who are waking up to the kind of food as medicine thinking and understanding that, you know, everything we put in our bodies affects how we are. It's not just about weight. It's about yeah. mood. It's about anxiety. It's about uh, long-term health. Um, it's about hormones, you know, and I, I don't recall it ever being like this before. I think and maybe because I'm in this space a lot and I speak to a lot of people about it. And obviously a lot of people talk about it on Instagram, but I think we're really starting to take an, more of an interest in and have a greater understanding of how food affects us on a daily basis in terms of our, our mood and well-being and what it's going to do to us long-term. Siori, let's, let's, let's move on to you. Just like Jack did, just give us a kind of a brief bio of how you got in this space, in the fitness space, but also more specifically how you got so involved with nutrition. Yeah. So, you know, me, my life, I feel like it revolves around Olympic weightlifting. Um, so I got into Olympic weightlifting and, you know, like initially I think a lot of female athletes think they want to get to the lighter weight class. They want to cut weight and do well there. Whereas I think my thinking now is Honestly, if you can eat to your maximum potential and perform at that higher weight class, do that, right? So I was in the boat where I wanted to cut to a lighter weight. So I was a 49 kilo lifter and I qualified for nationals. I did it all the wrong way, starred myself. My skin was bad. My mood was bad. I would take it out on my now husband. <laughs> so I wasn't, I didn't take it on him too bad, uh, but then boyfriend, And, you know, all those things like reflect just like a poor gut health, right? It shows up in my skin, my mood, my stress, all these things. So, and then I went to nationals, didn't do well, which isn't a surprise. I wasn't feeling myself well. Yeah. Yeah. So I found a nutrition coach. We decided it was better if I moved up a weight class. Back then it was 53 kilos, but now I'm a 55 kilo weightlifter. So I added like six kilos to my body weight but I've added like significant amount of kilos to like both my snatch and clean and jerk. And that's mainly because food is fuel. Now I kind of look at fuel as like a way for me to, I know it's going to fuel my lifting for the next day. So because of that, it was just amazing how I saw that transformation in myself. And so that's really how I kind of got into like the nutrition world. And Let's see, in terms of like working with fighters, so my husband does strength and conditioning with um, a lot of boxers. And so because of that, you know, he referred one boxer to me and that just kind of snowballed. And now I work with um, several other, mainly boxing. I probably just have like a couple MMA and just a couple of barbell lifters. But it is nice to come from like a weight class sport. Granted, I don't think Olympic lifters should be cutting more than like 5% of their body weight leading up to a meet, whereas these boxers, MMA fighters are cutting like 10, 15% of their weight. So it's definitely different, but just having the background of coming from a weight class sport, it does kind of help. You know, never, never is nutrition more important when you have a relative strength sport. 
um, when you can't go above a weight category, when you want to perform your best at that weight category, that's when you have to be so dialed in nutritionally, especially if you're doing it, you know, on a, a professional level, because the, the margins are, are so narrow, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And then another huge difference would be in weightlifting, you get a two hour weigh in. So I would like make weight at 55. I have two hours to refuel. Boxers, MMA, usually in the professional, they have their weigh ins. They usually have like what, 24 hours or so to recover. So that's completely different too. So it's it's kind of like a game. So I feel like I like working with weight class athletes in that way. So now it's the day before the weigh in. It used to be on the same day. I was listening to a podcast the other day I, I can't remember what year it changed it used to be on the same day and obviously people were dehydrating themselves starving themselves right up until the morning of the fight and then would eat as much as they could before the fight but obviously that's not enough time to really rehydrate and refuel the body so you know brain damage and injury were far more likely because people were so malnourished and again that's just an indicator of how, just how important this stuff is Oh, absolutely. And even now, I don't think 24 hours of time is enough to like fully hydrate someone from like a wake like that. But it is what it is, you know, so that's why you do your best to get them ready weeks before so they don't have to do that drastic, you know, unhealthy stuff right before. The the flip side of that is if it was two days before and you had two days to eat, the weight, you know, you you could get like a a guy that weighs 225 pounds weighing in at 180. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's true too. (laughs) Let's move on to the the fuel plan, uh, which I know you guys are kind of heading up. Tell everybody what that fuel plan kind of looks like on a weekly, monthly basis and what our kind of approach is to nutrition for, you know, our community. Yeah, so basically for the fuel plan, we're just doing a one-hour consult with everybody going through lifestyle, background, everything, goals, obviously, setting everybody up for success with macros, giving them an in-body scan, seeing where they're at, and then following up with them on a weekly basis, or honestly, just like what they need for accountability within reason. And for me, I go pretty in depth. Um, I don't do as much like Sarah's way more on like the sports side. I'm definitely not as, as knowledgeable with preparing people for events and stuff like that. I work much more like holistically with just people's day-to-day lives. So I, I definitely am really interested in stuff like stress, sleep, all of those big factors uh, in people. And um, yeah. And it's a full, it's a four week course, I think, right? Yeah. That's we're doing we're kind four of weeks. It. Yeah. And then if they want to keep that rolling over, they can after the four week period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I will um, say the four weeks is nice because you know, like you don't expect someone to change their habits with like one hour consultation, right? It's just not possible. And so like the week, it's just much more digestible. So every week we're just being like, hey, what happened this week? How do you feel? And just giving them like digestible pieces of information. So it becomes into more of a sustainable changes that they can make. Yeah. Um, yeah. Every week. Yeah. It gives them a perfect amount of time to like, if after a week or two, they're like, hey, I feel this way. I feel this way to make tweaks. It's it's perfect and it sets them up very well for the long run and whatever their goal is. The, the word you said, uh, Suri, about habit, that, that is one of the most important things with nutrition. Imagine you've had cereal every day in the morning for 30 years. You are fully addicted to that process. 
um, and that taste. And you wake up with that, like, oh my God, I need some sugary cereal to, to, to wake up, whatever it is. That's full on addiction. And the only way you can change that is by changing that habit. It's not always an easy thing to do. And in the first few days, it can feel miserable. But once you change your palate and once you change your, your habit and it becomes routine, it's easy. But it's just getting to that point. And I think that's why so many people fail with like, we, have, we all hate the word diets. That's why people often fail with nutritional programs because they don't give themselves the time to change and to, to find new set points. Because your palate does change and your behavior does change and your mood does change, but it just, it's a process and it takes time. And I think we can all agree, you know, as a, as a club and as a community, we are, of course, interested in, in body composition and keeping people at a, at a healthy weight, but we're also very interested in, in uh, giving people uh, longevity, giving people good mood, giving people good mindset, and it being, you know, not just who's the leanest, not, not just the who's the leanest competition, but who can, who can thrive nutritionally and, and how that can contribute towards a successful life. And I think, sorry, you, you touched on that, that point area when you were, you know, a miserable weightlifter when you were lighter, but then became a much happier weightlifter when you were a little bit, you know, better nourished and a little bit heavier. And I think that's, that's key. I think the problem with the industry sometimes is it can be so focused on weight loss and not really, I mean, Part of it doesn't even consider real body composition. It's just looking at the number on the scale as opposed to like body fat percentages, et cetera. But I think as, a, as us now as a community, we've got to a really good place where, and having used Embody, and by the way, we just invested in, you know, the, the top Embody in the market because I found over the years, once people understand the value of lean muscle tissue and what that could do metabolically, um, and how you can obviously eat more calories and you need more calories. You need better food to sustain that lean muscle tissue for both men and women. Once they can see that number on the, on the, on the in-body and understand it, I find adhesion to a nutritional guideline is a lot easier because they have the data in front of them. Like sometimes people need the data and you can argue people don't need in-body. People do need in-body. People don't need to understand body composition. They just need to eat better. But for some people, it definitely helps to have some data and some numbers so they can visually see, oh, I understand now that I may only be 50 kilograms, but my body fat, the amount of pounds of fat in my body is way higher than the amount of lean muscle tissue on my body. And that's why I have a problem. That's why I'm tired. That's why I'm skinny fat, whatever you want to call it, which is, you know, over the years, it's been a, a, a huge problem and has led to people being like, just do more cardio, just do more cardio, just do more cardio. And thinking that is the solution to a healthier body when in truth, you know, we, we know it to be very, be very different. One of the biggest things we've noticed, and I, I know this is going to be a part of the, of the, the fuel plan, is the introduction or the train of thought of, of gut health being a second brain and how, how important gut health is to a person's not just weight, but a person's mood, a person's long-term health, a person's um, attitude. What, what have your guys' been, experiences been with, with gut health and what, what stuff have you come to understand and what kind of authors or, or anybody that has kind of educated you on gut health, what, what has your experience been with that? Yeah, sure. I've had, um, I've had so many different experiences with people, with myself as well. I always, even in my clients at 
at-home clients, in Pharos, online clients. That's one of the, the, the first questions in my submission questionnaire for new clients. I think it, it has some of the biggest impact. I think it's almost second to sleep probably on people's goals. And that could be muscle gaining. That could be fat loss. It's huge for certain people. I mean, minor issues like the odd dinner here and there of like new foods irritating your gut might not be a huge deal, but people that are getting bloated, people that have reactions to literally every meal they eat and have absolutely no idea what's causing it causes so many problems. And not just like, yeah. I mean, it certainly causes issues with weight loss and, and muscle gain as you're having an inflammatory reaction and you're, you know, you're getting blood, you're just irritable. You're not ha like, no one is happy when they're painfully bloated and like gassy and just not feeling good after a meal. Yeah. Here's the other yeah. issue with that is sometimes people, people would rather stick to an ideology than listen to their own body. And I and was not, in that, I'm not I was in that camp. I'm not vegan bashing at all in this, in this, in this comment, but I just know it from an example of like, I know a lot of vegans that used to be vegans that were doing it because it was an, an ideology. They didn't yeah. feel good doing it long-term. They started to get sick, all this yeah. other, they start to have all these other problems, but because they were tied so strongly to the ideology, it's like, no, this is the way I should be doing it. And it's like, well, your body it, says something different. When I, I started, I was a vegetarian starting at age 18 and I didn't give up till I was like, 23 and my gut health was absolutely abysmal. It had never been a problem in the past. And I had also, had, I, it's worth noting, I made a transition from like high school where, you know, my youth where I was fed pretty great food. And then I went to college as a vegetarian where it was like Sodexo, all GMO plants, which I think might not have an effect on gut reaction, but I was eating just constantly, just like beans, legumes greens, like raw kale, all of these things. Cause it was like, this is good. This is a superfood. This is what's good for you. You need to have an abundance of this. And that's all I ate. Cause I also still was like, I need protein. I need all these things. And I felt so terrible. My sleep was yeah. bad. I was just like bloated all the time. I couldn't digest anything. It's not to say that you can't on a plant-based diet have good gut health. Uh, but for me personally, it was a like five year long battle with it that then incurred multiple years afterwards, taking the time to go through elimination diets and fix my gut, which took a lot of time and was not fun. Right. Was the elimination of certain foods enough or did you have to take probiotics to so, help the situation? I'm a, not a fan of probiotics. I, I'm a big fan, certainly of elimination, because you need information and you can't get the information without the elimination. So however you want to simplify it within reason, I think is great, whether that's a FODMAP diet. Jack, Jack just, just tell people what FODMAP is, just because a lot of people won't know. Yeah. I mean, it's basically you're eliminating to just like super digestible foods and vegetables. So there's like no grains. No bread, no dairy. I believe no beans in a low FODMAP as well is essentially yeah, it's, it. it's certainly no no kale, no uh, onions. I think are in there. There's, yeah. there's certain foods that we know cause certain inflammations that need to be avoided if right. you are suffering from from gut health issues. And I had a friend who was on a low FODMAP, and it was like it seemed way harder <laughs> than just like for me. I was like, you know what? I will just eat beef. I ate 
like winter squash, like kabocha squash and some really heavily cooked white rice. And that was it. Cause it was, it, it worked well for me. I knew those things didn't irritate me. And I think that what a lot of what you see in like the carnivore world where it claims to like that people have, you know, it, it reverses gut health problems. I don't think that necessarily the diet itself aids that. I think it's that the elimination of things aids that so that your gut being able to like breathe for a second and not be constantly affected by things actually may allow it to repopulate and for like the lining of the gut to seal again. In my Mm -hmm. case, I think that that is what happened. And then I did two, three years ago, I did a gut protocol, which we can talk about that I think then kind of completely changed the game for me. That's when I like, I could sort of, and I don't want to advise it, but I could kind of just like, then all of a sudden I could like eat whatever I want. I could eat like a large pizza and I wouldn't get bloated or anything. Tell us about that gut protocol in a second. I just wanted to, to bring up the point with foods that foods that irritate us can also be the, the foods that we love. And sometimes it's, it's really hard to, to not have those foods. I mean, I use the example of coffee and I know at a certain point, like coffee is not good for my gut. I just know it. <laughs> but fuck me, I cannot for the life of me give it up. Yeah, I just, I just, couldn't, I just couldn't imagine. <laughs> my, yeah, I couldn't imagine my day without it. But we do get so, you know, we get so tired. And I, I just made the point about not listening to our own bodies. <laughs> and I'm, I, I'm saying I'm guilty of it because, you know, there's certain things that that, that are just so tied to our day that we we think we can't live without them and we stick to them. And I think a lot of these elimination diets like carnivore and and to some extent like the vegan diet i think the reason why those diets are so successful in the early phases is simply because you're eliminating man-made processed foods you're being a true vegan and just sticking to fresh vegetables and fresh fruits and not taking in like beyond burgers and all that shit but i think that's that's a big reason for success is because you are you, it's not necessarily what you are eating it's what you aren't eating you're just taking out all those chemicals that we've introduced into our world in the last 50 years that didn't exist you know pre-1950 Shuri, what's been your uh, experience with with gut health i would say my biz- biggest experience and why i dived into it on a deeper level was because one of the fighters i was working with was dealing with SIBO, which is small intestinal overgrowth and a large majority of your bacteria resides in the large intestine. So when they kind of make this community in the small intestine, you can see a lot of problems like the bloating, brain fog, all that stuff. And so I was like, I honestly, I was like, I am not equipped to like handle this, you know, and he was already working with like a functional doctor, but he was still asking me for advice. So I went further into like the research and then it's just, you're kind of talking about how the gut is a second brain. And so whatever happens to the brain affects how our gut functions. So when you think about boxers, MMA fighters, football players, people who get like hit in the head, they deal with like head trauma. It does affect how your gut functions. And it doesn't even have to be like direct head trauma. It can be like people in a car accident who deal with whiplash or falling off a bike, even like body shots in boxing, right? Like you're still rattling your brain, like you're still indirectly. Yeah, I remember, I remember sparring with this guy um we're talking 15 years ago now uh his name was john john tandy he was a great boxing coach but he was heavy-handed and was like 245 pounds 
And I remember having this sparring session and then him hitting me so many times in the gut. And then my gut was just like for days afterwards, just ruined. My stomach was so upset. I was like, what is wrong with me? What is happening? But it was trauma. Yeah. And it's just, you know, you have like the vagus nerve. Everyone's, you know, like you hear the rest and digest and you have this connection between the brain and the gut. And when it's disrupted, that's when all these, you know, you're not able to digest well, right? Because you're just constantly maybe in like this flight or fight response. And so, so I believe, so he had, right, his history of MMA fighting. And then so his gut's already a little bit impaired. And then he went to, I forgot where he went, but he traveled abroad and he got food poisoning. And I think why he got food poisoning was because he was already in a very vulnerable situation Mm -hmm. and the food poisoning ultimately led him to have SIBO. And so that was like my really big kind of like introduction into like the gut health world and really just diving into everything. You're just like, oh my gosh, there's, there's a lot of things we don't know. There's some things, you know, we do know. And unfortunately, I don't think enough people like care enough to be about gut health. It's kind of like people who are really interested in it will tune into it and try to like do their best to like educate themselves. Or luckily they work with a nutrition coach that do have that knowledge to like educate them. But that was my real first experience with gut health and learning more about it. Were you able to cure it? Yeah. So it took a long time. So like Jack was saying, like he would take like these random probiotics, but your gut is a fingerprint. Like it's everyone's gut is very unique. You know, you see a probiotic at like, I don't know, like CVS or Target. They're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to take this. Probiotics are great, right? But there's different strains that are unique to everyone. And you need to make sure you're getting like the right probiotic for whatever you're dealing with. And so we definitely cut off all of those. I was also like, he was working with his own functional medicine doctor because I was like, this is above me. Like you need to seek help somewhere else. But what we did do was bring in like the natural things. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with what is the word? Prokinetics. So they help with like gut motility. And a lot of times mm-hmm. when your gut isn't moving well, um, it's not, you're not pushing food down your digestive tract really well. But um, natural supplements we incorporated were things like ghee, like coconut oil, like ginger tea, right. all those things. He also did a breath test. And I think that kind of differentiates what kind of bacteria is in your gut, whether it's like methane, hydrogen sulfide, you know, all those things. And he like specifically, I believe it was more methane dominant. And he was able to work with his functional medicine doctor to figure out like, you know, what herbs would be best for him. I think Iberogas was one of the things he took. But it's also the most important thing we did too was work on stress management. Yeah. I think when you're, again, like when you're not in that parasympathetic state, you're not digesting, like things just aren't moving as well. So getting him out of that, making sure he took time to do diaphragmatic breathing, yoga, you know, walking in nature, all those things that promoted him to be in that relaxed state was super beneficial for him. Right. You remind me of, um, you know, modern society and modern medicine is always just finding the pill for the problem. So when you're saying about probiotics, it's like, I've got this problem. I'm not going to change anything, but I'm going to take this probiotic yeah. because it's going to fix it. Rather than like going the long way around and really figuring out what's happening and eliminating stuff and treating your body more kindly and stuff. The, the solution for everybody is just, to, okay, which pill do I need? <laughs> yeah. It's like, how about we go for a walk? <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a lot better for you. Uh, Jack, tell us about your amazing uh, gut protocol that you went through. Yeah. So I, oh, and just, I just want to echo that really quick. Cause obviously I said, I'm not a fan of probiotics. I mean, probiotics have their place. 
working with somebody like Sayuri did, having a, a point to go after, like having a reference point, having information, and then having a plan with probiotics is great. I think that people yeah. blindly, like you were just saying, taking probiotics because they're yeah. like, I have gut problems. Let me reach for this thing on the shelf, take it every day, put billions of one strain of, of bacteria in my gut. And I think possibly like that could be leading to obviously not in, in Cyrus client's case, but into many people could be creating SIBO just out of nowhere. But right. I will say, so for my, the, what I did, I came across... I had mentioned to you this guy, Joel Green, who's like a yeah. OG, OG fitness guy. He created this like Veep nutrition system way back in the day, has worked with a lot of people, is just a very not out there to sell anything um, or really like, and doesn't make huge claims, which is like my favorite thing. If like somebody is in the fitness world, the health world, especially the nutrition world, and they don't have like some red herring, they're, they're not like, this is going to kill you. This is going to kill you. It's like they're an angel from the heavens. I'm so happy to have found right. them. And he's one of those people. So he, in his book, The Immunity Code, has a has a large section on gut health. It's basically a book that sort of takes you through an order of operations for getting the body back to like sort of what he calls like peak human. And I guess we could call that like maybe human before all of the things that we've done in the world to make it bad. Right. But one of the first is is getting the gut back in place. So his gut protocol is apple skins or apple skin powder, red phenols, so basically just like a reds powder, and then HMO powder, which is human milk oligosaccharides, which is the carbohydrate mainly found in like mother's milk or in baby formula. And mm. so you basically kind of load these incrementally. So you start with like a, a small portion of each and load them over, over 21 days until you're taking more and more and more. And that I'll, I'll go into like what, how that sort of that stuff sort of works. Cause now that's what I put a lot of my clients on, mm. but that like my gut had done a lot better after getting rid of a ton of stuff. It still like occasionally would get a little bit of a flare up. But once I, when I did this protocol for the first time, and I now do it like once a year, just for like a checkup, just since like life happens, yeah. stress happens, like things wear down with the food that we were kind of forced to eat, whatever it is, seed oil, sugar, whatever. But after doing it for the first time, it was like, it was wild. I like my metabolism kicked up like crazy. I like lost two or three pounds of belly fat. Wow. And uh, I just felt food just went right through me and it felt great food gave me this like warm feeling in my stomach instead of this like irritable feeling in my stomach which was great how long did that process take 20 days 20 20 or 21 days yeah so it's not long and when i have my clients do it basically you just take it as a protein shake in the morning and then by like the third week you're taking just like an extra scoop of red phenol powder in the day during the day so I kind of would just add it to like a post-workout shake. And that was my way of kind of getting that afternoon one in without having to think about it. When I have clients do it, I try to, unless their gut isn't just like really dis, you know, bad disrepair, then I'll have them try to eliminate the foods they know are bad. So if they're like, I know that bread's bad, dairy's bad, whatever, just try to make sure they keep that out for, for the time being. But I want to say now, I think I've had four clients and all four of them had had dairy problems they were the only four that had dairy problems and all of them can have dairy now which is crazy 
Yeah, dairy is there. There is an interesting one as well because you know some people are very pro dairy, some people are very anti dairy. I think I mentioned this to you, Jack. I had a client in the UK who had terrible allergies, constantly sneezing, skin irritation, blotchiness, and we introduced raw milk into his diet, mm-hmm. and it completely cured him. Goes away, yeah. all of them. That, that one simple addition. Yeah, but I know you know. Conversely, I know there's a lot of people who do struggle with dairy. Um, do, do your fighters have dairy, Siri? If they do, I tell them to try to – it's really like the conventional dairy where they're like pumped with like hormones and antibiotics where I tell them to just like stay away from and try right. to go for like – if anything, I know my brother enjoys A2 milk. He's lactose mm-hmm. intolerant. And I know that that's better on his system, but going for like maybe like the grass fed, like pasture raised dairy options. Um, but if they don't have a problem with dairy, I don't. If they don't have a yeah. problem, I don't tell them to restrict it. But definitely if they're feeling something, I'm like, okay, let's maybe hold and off on that. And that's, that's the other problem. People will have a bad experience with dairy and then tell everybody that they shouldn't eat dairy. And it's like, well, yeah. you had a bad experience with dairy because your body didn't tolerate it very well. That isn't the same story for everybody. That's another important thing about individualization, right? When we come to nutrition and when, when we talk about the fuel plan and why you have this hour-long consult, it's because it's not one size fits all. Uh, and we have to really understand someone and where they're coming from and what they've been through and to be able to provide them with the right nutritional guidelines. Um, Jack, the other, the other book you turn me on to, I don't know whether you've read this book, Siori, but it's called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. And it's by Weston A. Price. Do you know that book? No, I don't, I don't know that one. But Jack, tell, tell us about this book and tell us about Weston A. Price because I think it's fucking fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> so Weston A. Price was a Canadian dentist in the early 1900s and conducted most of his research in the 30s and 40s. And he basically traveled all continents of the planet in search of uh, indigenous tribes that had or didn't have contact with Western foods, basically. So tribes all over Australia, Africa, the Americas, Europe, and tried to search for sort of like common threads and basically found exactly that, that he, and obviously coming from a, from a dental standpoint, he's looking at facial structure, jaw, and then breathing as well. So respiratory pathways. And it was basically the same thing across the board with tribes that had come in contact with Western food was that the jawline was pushed back. They began mouth breathing. Um, their dentistry was completely out of whack, just like missing teeth. Got, I mean, obviously didn't have dentists. And then, you know, when, once he found tribes that didn't have that, it was like absolutely fascinating. And the and what's crazy is like you, you when you're told it, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess like you have an idea of like people in the in the medieval times where they didn't have dentists. And you're like, man, their teeth must have been so gross. And you look at photos of these people and tribes who didn't eat Western food and didn't have dentistry and their teeth are perfect and their jaws are, are like, are perfect. They all nasal breathe. They all have these all across the world in different continents. It's fascinating. And so he kind of has, he derived a, a diet, very simple diet. That's basically just like fruits and veggies, meat, grains are fermented. So like sourdough, or if you do, let's say you do, and I've, I follow a lot of his, his diet now that my gut feels good. So it's like, if I have oatmeal, I ferment the oats. If I have uh, polenta, I ferment the corn. How do you ferment it? 
it's super, super easy. So for oats, all you do is you just get like a mason jar, put oats in it, and then fill it up with water about an inch above the oats or maybe two inches above the oats, put it in a cupboard and let it sit for 24 hours. That's it. And the carbohydrate, there's enough carbohydrates in it that it'll just start fermenting on its own. After 24 hours, it'll be like, it'll be a little bit funky. If you push it like 36 to 48 hours, it is like cheesy funky. And so I'll, I'll do like (laughs) after 24 hours, I'll do, I'll do it for oatmeal and then I'll go 48 hours and you can make like, um, like a risotto out of the oats. And you could do the same thing for almost any grain. You could do like bulgur or anything like that. Polenta is the same way. Just fill it up with water, ferment the polenta for 24 hours or so, and then just cook it down in milk or water. Do you ever do that, Sierra? Never done that before. No, but oh. um, the like talking about like the indigenous tribes, I always think about like, you know, Western culture versus maybe, for example, like Japanese culture, right? I'm Japanese. And you know how like we have the record of the longest living, I don't know, yeah. like grandpa or something. And yeah. I feel like when you look at Japanese, it's like all like the, you know, like the foods they recommend, like probiotics, right? You have like, I don't know, kimchi, that's like Korean, like natto. I don't know if you've had like their fermented soybeans. You have like miso, like I drink miso every day. And I'm like, I feel like that's why Japanese people live forever. Just like their diet, like their diet is just so starkly just like the contrast with Western culture diet. But unfortunately, the rate of obesity has gone up in Japan, just because like these Western fast food chains are making their way to Japan. And now you see McDonald's kind of like all over the place now. Yeah. So it's just so obvious, like what's happening. And yet, you know, nothing is done to stop that happening. Like we know that the introduction of this fast food to cultures is killing people and causing huge, huge costs to every, everyone's, you know, health, but no action is done. Like we, we, we ban all these things, like we ban drugs for this or we ban raw milk in certain states or you know, anything that doesn't like toe the line, we ban. But we allow all these toxic foods to be spread all over the planet, which is clearly and obviously causing huge problems to a huge amount of the population. But we just, you know, because money talks, we don't do anything about it. Yeah, they, they do police raids on on raw milk clubs and other, it's, other it's, state, which is great. And it's just here I just like walk to the farmer's market and I literally will crack it open and like drink some of it right there on the spot. But in other states, when I was in Tennessee, you had to buy it. Basically there was a guy at a farmer's market. You had to like buy it under the table and you would, you would sign up, you'd pay for like essentially something that wasn't written down on paper as raw milk. And then he would text you an address and you would go to this address and in the back of the back of the house would be a cooler and you'd go to the cooler and you'd grab the milk out and go home. It was uh, that's unbelievable. Cool. There was like this entire like like underground <laughs> system for getting raw milk, which is just an, an incredibly nutritious food. It's crazy. It's, and it's yeah, it's it's just wild. Just wild. What's, in, what's interesting is that um, like time back in with the gut health stuff and to what Sayuri was saying that like in areas where people live extremely long lives or the longest that we know of, just like as a, as a demographic, they've measured 
they've tested gut specific gut bacterias in those people. And very commonly, all those people have high levels of bifidobacteria and acromensia in the gut, which going back into like this gut protocol that, that I did, well, half of those compounds in there are basically specifically targeting acromensia and bifidobacteria in the gut and speeding it up. And these basically help heal, help seal the gut, keep it from, you know, being permeable and also like keep out what are called inflammatory macrophages and things like interleukin-6, interleukin-10. Interleukin-10 is, is good. Interleukin-6 is, is bad. These are basically like signal molecules in the gut, but things like apple skins and phenols feed this as well. So this was like when I was talking about the kind of like light bulb moment of understanding, finally understanding how foods individually can like serve functionally. Mm -hmm. This was like that light bulb moment where I was like, oh, okay, there is like, you know, everyone's like food is medicine, but you kind of like don't really get specifically how food is medicine. It's kind of this abstract, like if you eat a good diet, it'll prevent, you know, X from happening, Y from happening. And this is his first time where I was like, oh, okay, like scientifically, we understand that these compounds feed these bacterias. And it's like, you feed these bacterias like bifido and acromensia, these then cross signal, feed each other, butyrate is produced, and this helps keep energy in our colon, helps keep our colon healthy. And as well, that is found in people that live long, healthy lives. And what's most important is not only do those people live long, healthy lives, people that have less chronic disease outcomes have higher levels of these. So it's gut health truly is of the utmost importance to our immunity, to our lifespan, and to just like our day-to-day well-being and digestion. Keeping our, keeping our body like nasal breathing and keeping your gut in check is so important for weight maintenance and weight management. And if you're trying to lose weight or gain muscle. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a really good point. I think probably a great point to kind of come to a conclusion on but yeah i think you know if we go, if we go back to the the fuel plan you know always at ferris we try and we don't just tell people what to do we try and educate people on what on why they're doing it right and what you were just saying about gut health and helping people understand that what the problem is what the fix is and why that why that fix happens is going to be crucial to people's long-term ad- adherence to uh, a new way of eating or a new way of looking at food specifically in this area of gut health, it's such a, you know, we've been doing this a long time and it's still a minefield. So for the average person who doesn't know anything about nutritional stuff, when they hear stuff like this, it can be like completely daunting and like, I don't know where to start with this shit. So I think working with you guys um, and understanding and figuring stuff out is going to be hugely beneficial for, for, for so many people when we, especially when we're thinking more about, you know, we're not just talking about body composition. We are thinking about longevity. And obviously the older we get, the older I get, the more longevity is kind of the word. Like, I think, you know, Suri, I know you work with a lot of athletes where performance is the main, you know, the main goal, right? Are you, are you giving, you're, you're giving people the, either the amount or the type of food that they need to optimize performance, but not necessarily what's going to be best for them from a health perspective. And I'm sure you do it in, a, in as healthy a way as possible. But um, I know there's a lot of people out there that will, you know, rely on somewhat refined sugars or, you know, any kind of like carbohydrate to boost up their their carbohydrate intake. That can be a good thing for performance, but not necessarily a thing for longevity and health. Would you agree with that? Or, uh, yeah, honestly, how I treat my fighters it, or uh, 
anyone in like kind of like the sports world, I'm still educating on similar things that I would if someone were to like come into Pharaohs and talk to me. Like I'm still saying, I think because they have so much going on in their plate, they need to train, you know, multiple times a day. I'm doing it a little bit differently in the sense that I'm making it easier for them to plan and prep their food by giving them templates and giving them options and giving them certain amounts. Because right. the last thing I need them to be doing is putting in their food and my fitness pal and doing all the macro counting because yeah. They don't got time for that. <laughs> but in terms of like, I am still like, hey, when you go to the store, still turn over the label. Like if you see any type of seed oils, canola, soybean, sunflower, whatever, don't do it. You know, like I'm still trying to get a variety of veggies. I Like a common conversation I, ha I have is because they want it to be simple. I see them eating the same thing every day. But I'm like, hey, we still need to get like, we need diversity in our gut, right? So we need diversity right. in our diet. And so it's, it's really not much, I feel like I'm still telling them the same things as I would, you know, as like someone who would come into Pharaoh's and like someone who's trying to fight in the ring, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like sometimes if, if it's a, if it's a two a day day, I just know from my own experience, I finished one session and I've got training in like three hours. I might take in a Gatorade. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Yes. I might grab a sugary, uh, a sugary drink and just get that shit in me because I know otherwise I'm going to die. But, yeah, I um, think, I, I think especially because they are just their calorie expenditure is so much. I am okay if they do have those more simple sugars in their diet, but also yeah. telling them you also need your complex carbs too. Yeah. But the problem is general public see that and they're like, oh, they yep. do it, so I'm going to do it. It's like, well, you don't need it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like I read this thing the other day. It's like Rich Froning has like 650 grams of carbohydrates a day. Like if anybody in the general public had 650 grams of carbohydrates, they'd be in real trouble. Uh, um, Ronnie, Ronnie Coleman so was looking like a Snickers bar and a full Coke after his bodybuilding sessions. Oh, Dude, crazy. that guy was going to McDonald's all the time. That, oh, yeah. He, he loved it. Yeah, so just a, just a caution. Don't look at what other people are reading and think you can copy it. You got to stay in your lane. <laughs> mm -hmm. Anything else you wanna you wanna add, guys? I think like if people like kind of like what you're saying, like where do you start, right? So I think mm -hmm. a first thing people can do is to just be just more mindful of what they're eating. You know, like turn over ingredient labels. And if there's like a million things on there and you can't even pronounce half of those things on there, maybe don't buy it, you know? And yeah. even if kind of like habits, like you're used to drinking like a certain almond milk. Um, I know I was in a boat where I would drink like silk almond milk. And when you look at it, there's like like these all these emulsifiers, sunflower oils, and you're just like, what the heck? And the second I took it out, like my bloating, like all of that went down. So it's just try something new and just see how you feel. Because a lot of people walk around feeling crappy, but they have no idea what it feels like to walk around feeling better. They don't know how good they can actually feel. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think you have to kind of see, you have to learn to see beyond the marketing because you'll get all these marketing products like oat milk, for example, which will say healthy and environmentally friendly and all this shit. And then you'll turn it over and you'll see what the real truth is on the back. When you see, like you said, all the addition of oils and chemicals and all these emulsifiers, and it's always like the less ingredients, the better. The agricultural revolution was the worst thing that ever happened to mankind. We went from hunter-gatherer, like eating like meats and fruits and veggies and real stuff, to suddenly like mass producing grains because it was like an easy way to feed people. And it seemed like a great idea. But the longer things go on, I'm like, eh. 
we should probably just go back to hunter gatherer <laughs> <laughs> but we'd miss out on all these delicious things right that's the that's the that's the hard the double-edged sword with the whole like longevity thing and lifespan thing is that it's like how obsessed with lifespan are we that we don't you know is it do we want to enjoy this life do we want to so i think it's like yeah if your gut is in like absolute disrepair really pay attention to your body try to stop eating in stressed out states like don't stop eating in front of the tv don't eat during like a really stressful you know phone call you've got to do or whatever don't eat in the car like try to eat in a relaxed state um take your time to digest if you're going through these problems but then it's like once you're in a good place like we may have messed up with the agricultural revolution but we should you know at, in some sense like we should we should bathe in its luxuries at, at, at you know when at we times. can yeah. uh, at times like i'm gonna have a cheeseburger here and there for the rest of my life and i oh, and i sure. love that it was created and i'm i'm not mad about it but it's just you know within reason yeah i completely agree uh so Yuri, what's the best uh way people that can, can reach you it looks like I'm not active on my Instagram because I haven't posted anything since 2021. But I mean, you're always welcome to slide into my DMs. <laughs> <laughs> I guess email. <laughs> What's your email? Uh, Sally.yoshimura at gmail.com. <laughs> okay, great. Jack, what's the best way people can reach you? Uh, yeah, you, I'm uh, similar to Sayuri as <laughs> almost as inactive. Not as inactive, but I'm almost as inactive. I'm a clean underscore cowboy on Instagram. And then you can uh, always email me at jackolinwellborn at gmail.com. Awesome. Or just come to Ferris Athletic Club and ask for them. They're always there. Yeah. yeah. That's, um, that's great. I like that. That's the best way to do it. That's the best way to do it. Okay, guys. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, that was a great discussion. I, I appreciate you guys. I value you guys. I'm so glad you're at the club. I think you're, you're both such a good addition to everything that we're trying to do. Um, and a real kind of uh, gives me real hope for the future. So I appreciate you both. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Pete. All right, guys, that's it for today. Um, come see us, 1316 Glendale Boulevard. You can find us on Instagram at Barros Echo Park or at Barros Idlewild. Um, you're welcome to come to both gyms, check us out, say hi. Um, and we look forward to catching up with you real soon. Till then, take care. See ya.